This is the California Frontier Podcast, Episode 2. The California Frontier Podcast is devoted to helping you explore and discover the Golden State's early history from the time of its first peoples until statehood. My name is Damian Bassage, and I'm your host. On this episode, I'm going to speak with a fascinating person, Greg Bernal Mendoza Smetstad. Greg has dedicated his life to saving, preserving, communicating the legacy of California's early Hispanic settlers, especially those in and around the San Francisco Bay region. And this makes sense uh, because Greg is a direct descendant of the people who came from what is today northern Mexico in 1775 and 6 in what is known as the Anza Expedition, the second Anza Expedition. And a number of those people founded the first civilian settlement in Alta California in 1777, the Pueblo of San Jose, which eventually became the city of San Jose. And uh, Greg helped start Founders Day in the city of San Jose, or as as it is today known, Happy Birthday San Jose, as a way of commemorating that important history that dates back over 200 years. He is tireless and passionate about his ancestry, an eighth-generation Californian, and he's passionate about the story of the Californios, Those people whose culture, those early migrants, those founding fathers whose culture and story shaped um, Alta California and what later became the state of California. He has plenty to tell us, and we're going to learn a lot from him. So let's hear from Greg and listen to his story. All right. Hello. I'm here with Greg Bernal Mendoza Smested. Great to see you, Greg. Thanks for welcoming me to your house. Thank you. Well, you have a really interesting family background, and you and I have met on different occasions at, at uh, things like the California Missions Conference or History, uh, Happy Birthday San Jose, and I just learned the other night, well, I, I knew this before, but I know that you're an eighth-generation Californian, a California. So um, I'd love to talk to you about your, your family's background and and learn a lot from you uh, about this really fascinating um, history that we have here in the Santa Clara Valley. I'd love to tell the story. So, so why don't you tell us a little bit? Well, first of all, how about a little bit about yourself and, and, and your, then your family's background? Hmm. Well, I am uh, the only child of uh, my uh, mother and father. Yvonne was my mother. Uh, she uh, was the only child of her family, uh, Velma uh, Bernal and George Mendoza, uh, here uh, in, in uh, San Jose, uh, born, uh, both of them. And uh, my family uh, not, did not know the story. Uh, so we are slowly uncovering bits of it from what they were told. Uh, and so in every generation, we pick up a little bit more, add to what we were told, and then it continues. Now, I only have 
one child, so she's growing up with this, and you, you see her at these uh, events, and she's now taking living history um, in stride, and it's just something that you do growing up in California. That's cool. That's very cool. So um, when did you begin? We were just talking um, offline, when you told me about how you began to learn about uh, your family history. Where did that come from? My grandmother, Velma, Velma Bernal, uh, she, uh, in the 60s, uh, would uh, take me into her house on uh, uh, Bird Avenue, the old Victorian, uh, where we grew up, and she would uh, tell me about the history, this, this unique history. And we, I wasn't getting this anywhere else. This was part of San Jose's history, our family history. Uh, she took a pride in it, but yet it seemed to her that it was a source of both pride and, and frustration because she couldn't find many other people to talk to about it. Of course, the cousins and uh, some of the neighbors, amazingly, uh, some of the neighbors were also Californios or had connections to, to, to the Californios. So um, the names that she mentioned uh, Bernal, Peralta, Pacheco, Cibrian. She had ten types of these people, these relatives, and for every ten type, there was a genealogy that she put on the back, what she was told. And she, she was born in 1901 here in San Jose with her uh, brothers um, and sister. Uh, and so she was passing on what she had been told. She was my bridge to this, this other world. Um, and yet I realized uh, only later that what she was doing is, is passing on an echo. I, I like to call it a, a, like the bell. You can see with the bell, it's still ringing, but decaying. So the tone is still there. And so only as time went on and I got to know other Californios, I realized what part of her were still really practicing what it meant to be a Californio. Not just the family story, but the culture. The beans on the pot boiling all day. The corn, the, the uh, matate and the mocajete being used for, for spices and for, for preparations. The, the types of food, um, all of it. Uh, somehow, and even the ways of, of, of sharing and being generous and being hospitable. I didn't know it at the time in the 60s. I was just a kid. But I was growing up with an echo of what it meant to be a Californio. And as I met other Californios um, through my life, mainly uh, after her, her death, uh, I realized, wow, you're just like my grandmother and my grandmother's family. So that's really how I got into it. She wanted uh, practically her dying wish, uh, maybe the, the week before her, her death, Greg, you have to carry this on. You know all the things that I've taught you. You have to carry this on. No one else will. Uh, seems to skip a generation as it always does. My mm. mother was interested in it, but not in such a detailed way. And so with her records, with the things that she left me, little notes here in this book or that book or little conversations, after she passed, I used that as an opportunity to connect to other 
Californios through Los Californianos, which is an organization of some 750, 1,000 uh, members of descendants of uh, those that were here in California from uh, 1769 uh, all the way up to 1850s. So just as a reminder, or, or for people who are not familiar with the term, Californio refers to someone who... Californio is a, uh, is a term, again, uh, the, the uh, groups that were brought here uh, by, by Anza here in the Bay Area and uh, Fernando Rivera de Moncada in uh, Southern California uh, and, and in Santa Barbara, uh, they were isolated after 1781 from the rest of Nueva España. And so they slowly came into more contact with the native tribes that were here, uh, with their own cultures that they had brought with them, both native, Hispanic, and Afro-Latino is what we call it now. Uh, they said mulatto. And, and slowly they came to a new identity, a new identity. And this identity, they said, well, what are you? If you ask them then, in their writings, the writings that people took uh, when the Americans first got here, and even in their own writings, in, in Spanish, they would refer to themselves as Californios. So now Los Californianos is an organization, a modern organization, uh, with a membership of people who go through and find through the records their, their genealogy and their, their shared history uh, and their shared culture, and um, they uh, connect uh, to that. To that, to that culture. How often do Los Californianos meet? They meet uh, uh, once a quarter, uh, either in Southern California or Northern California, or maybe in the middle somewhere at sites that are important for their history. They bring with them a traveling genealogy library hmm. where members go. Um, it's really quite hilarious because you're there uh, searching books that are so unique of people who have come before you who have found bits of records here and genealogies here and you're there usually in a hotel or in some uh, place that they've arranged and of course invariably it's not the book that matters it is the people that you're sitting next to and you find that you're cousins and uh, you find that you have some shared information and over time um, volumes of of books and information, some self-generated and some have been donated, have gone into this traveling genealogy and traveling resource uh, library, uh, which now can uh, inform all generations of Los Californianos membership as they're trying to make those last connections to, to bridge from them back to the people who, who were there. That's fascinating. I. I went to one of the Los Californianos meetings and I remember at the beginning of the meeting they had new members and they would ask them to stand up. I don't know if they still do this. And yes. then they would say, okay, all of you who are cousins on this side or from this last name stand up or all of you who are from this last. And by the end, the person would have dozens of distant cousins now standing up surrounding them. It was really yeah. kind of moving to yeah, see that. Yeah, it, it is very moving and it was very, I had lost my grandmother, but I gained these people. Mm -hmm. And so I did, uh, I did that. 
in order to uh, honor her memory. And then I did uh, a trail guide, uh, thanks to the uh, Department of Interior, uh, the National Park Service uh, in the 1970s at the Bicentennial, there was a, a trail ride uh, in which the Anza expedition that brought uh, a lot of our ancestors here to the Bay Area um, was undertaken. Uh, a lot of times with uh, people who were interested, a lot of times with politicians, uh, citizens, and the trail would, would then tell the story of the Anza expedition, county by county, place by place, uh, and out of that outgrowth and out of the um, equestrian group that was headed by George Cardinet uh, and Nancy DuPont, uh, a lobbying effort was made to Congress to declare this trail a National Historic Trail. And it was granted that status. And uh, this was long before I was just a teenager at the time. I had heard about this. But uh, when my grandmother passed, uh, I would go on the trail, meeting Californios, going to these meetings, hearing sounds, hearing music uh, that was performed at the mission, uh, this, this, this effort called Living History. And I said to the National Park Service, can we uh, not just produce a map, but a trail guide, and can we do a CD? And so uh, they gave me a challenge cost share, uh, and I did that. And this is all mm. free and available online uh, through my website or through the Juan Batista de Anza National Historic Trail website. And m many people have seen maybe the little uh, triangular shaped signs mm -hmm, yeah. that, that have a picture of Anza and his native guide and Father Font in the back and the settlers, uh, the pobladores, uh, there. And this, this marks the uh, route as close as we can, um, can know uh, at this point where one could, could see things that either were interesting at the time or are interesting in the period of history that came immediately after that. And so that was uh, another thing that came uh, uh, for me to try to understand this community of genealogy and the community of historians. Mm -hmm. And I found that in the preservation of my family's history, there were many different communities, some quite isolated. There's an equestrian community that does for instance, Amigos de Anza. Hmm. There's another equestrian community that even has the horses that are genetically matched to the horses that the Spanish and the Native Americans used oh, all over the West. And I've been talking to them uh, quite recently because it's, it's very difficult to preserve this, this uh, equestrian lineage huh. and also to bring it to the public. Um, so there's that community, there's a music community, uh, which I worked with that does performances of a rancho period or mission period music, um, recovering bits of manuscripts that might be still in Mexico, but were mentioned up here in, in Alta, California. Uh, people may not know uh, Alta, California, but they know Baja. And mm -hmm. so they were the Californias, both of them together. And so could we, sorry, just yeah. to back, 
Could we back up just a little bit and okay. maybe talk a little bit about Juan Bautista de Anza and who he was and, and what he did and why he's so important that would make you want to do this? So there's, there's books written about him. Um, Alan Brown has a very good book. Vladimir Guerrero has a very good book uh, on, uh, on Anza and the Anza expedition. Um, that could the diaries of the expedition that brought us here in uh, starting in the fall uh, of uh, 1775 and ending in in March and then later June of 1776. Oh wait, was there a Mexico at that time? No. Was there a, what was going on in the East Coast in June? Oh wait, we know in July of 1776 something was going on. There was no such thing as the United States. There was no such thing as Mexico. But yet these people who came were the genetic stock that would become, down south, the Mexican people. Mestizo, mulatto, criollo, indio. The castes that came here, a very mixed bag, except for Father Font. He was the diarist and scientist on the expedition with Anza, Juan Batista de Anza, a criollo. Uh, that means he was, he was born here in the New World, but he claimed that he was fully Spanish. Hmm. But he was a man of the frontier. His father had been killed by uh, the Apaches, I believe. And so he went into service, uh, learned the military at the time for the Spanish Empire, because that was Nueva España in Tucson and Tubac, all of Sonora, as it was called even then. And so he, uh, he said, I want to find a, a route to bring people to what I know is there from Gaspar de Portela. We knew that there was a San Diego. We knew that there was a coastal route. We knew that even there was San Francisco accidentally discovered. But how do we get people and supplies there when ships were so um, unreliable to do that and, and, uh, and so slow? So Juan Batista de Anza uh, petitioned the king, uh, King Carlos of Spain, Juan Carlos III, to uh, make an expedition with a handful of soldiers. And he did so in 1774 with the help of an Indian guy named Sebastian Terrabal. Now this is our Pocahontas, a fantastic fellow who's mentioned even in the works uh, of Father Sarah and Palu and others. They called him the Californian. Uh, he comes, I believe, from Santa Gertrudis in Baja California, one of the missions there. So the conversion process of Native Americans had happened in Baja, and so he he um, was brought uh, to uh, San Gabriel in what is now Los Angeles with his friends and his wife. He escaped with them and made a trek across the desert to what is now the area of the Quitzan at uh, the crossing of the Colorado River. And the Chief Palma, as he became known, um, his Quitzan name is 
is impossible for me to pronounce. But Chief Palmer was smart enough to know, ah, I, I know where to take this man. I'm going to take him to the Presidio of Tubac. And Father Garces at the time uh, said, look, Anza, you want a land route to the Californias? I just found one from Sonora in the area of, of Arizona. This man has just made it back. Unfortunately, his wife and his, his friends perished, this man. This man's story I could go on to for a long time. Mm -hmm. But Anza himself was smart enough to say, I want you, please take me reverse of what you just did. Take me back to San Gabriel. And once we're in San Gabriel, we can take the coastal route up the coast with however many supplies and people uh, and families that we need. And we could found San Jose and San Francisco, which was his, his mission. It was to found Mission Santa Clara uh, or, or a, a mission in this area, two missions, and Mission Dolores. Uh, a mission near the San Francisco area and the Presidio in, in San Francisco. So this man, his story, again, Juan Batista de Anza, he knew how to take care of the uh, Native American relations, both in Sonora and on the journey. He made a trial run with his own money. Hmm. He was from a frontier soldier fa family, those roots. Uh, I think his grandfather was a... Uh, um, an herbologist or a pharmacist uh, back in Spain. So he was a man who, who wanted to serve the king and wanted to do his duty as a soldier. And to his, his father's memory, he then rounded up people, uh, signed them up so that they had the right skills and went then with these people campsite to campsite as a traveling city, it was described, all the way to what is now Monterey, which was the capital of Alta California at the time. So I've gone over just the smallest detail. That, that whole story is completely written down. Uh, it has an Arizona por portion. It has an, uh, what is now Mexico portion. It has a California portion. But it's a story in the West that my grandmother told to me, but yet it wasn't told anywhere else. You'd see a little clip in the paper here. She said, we were brought by Anza. Oh, De Anza College? That's not where I went to school. That was named for him, De Anza Boulevard, too. Uh, what is he all about, Grandma? I tried to get it, but I, I, I really didn't understand it until she passed and I realized how little was written. I wrote, I recorded like we're doing now, uh, worked uh, with uh, several uh, musical groups, including my, my cousin Lance Beeson and, and, and his group uh, and, uh, and um, John Warren and, and others uh, to, to bring what I was experiencing on the trail to other people, that history could actually be experienced in the present. It wasn't in the book, it wasn't in paper, it wasn't in writing. I could smell the smells and hear the music and understand what had happened there as I go from place to place, as my ancestors did. And I met a group of people 
who were doing the same thing at festivals. And their work too, slowly decaying away like the, the bell, but trying to get the public to understand our West Coast version of the Pilgrims, the West Coast version of Pocahontas, all of that in incredible detail because our good Father Font and the good Spaniards were as verbose as I am right now. They would write everything down. And people like you, thanks to people like you, who now look at the reams and reams of information at the Bancroft Library and at historical societies and at archives, the story can be told. It's just in the language that just doesn't happen to be the dominant language yet in this in this area, but it right. soon, soon will be. Right. So you've been um, you've been involved every year with the celebration of the Happy Birthday San Jose or Founders yeah. Day. Or what? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? And um, yeah, it's funny that you call it that. It's 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 now uh, it, it's now called that, but um, the the celebration of November the 29th, uh, 1777, was when the, the subgroup of colonists who were first in Monterey, and then they were taken to, to San Francisco, and then a subgroup of that said, um, those of you who don't want to be here in the fog on the peninsula, would you like to go to that place that we passed over there in San Jose where there's a river and you could ranch? All the hands went up. Well, 15 families or so in the summer of uh, 1777. Uh, the mission uh, was founded in January of that year at the Guadalupe River uh, with the idea of attracting the multitude of natives that were, that were in the region. Uh, so the, they, they left in the summer and, um, and uh, by the time things were uh, towards the fall, they had their Thanksgiving. They said, the natives have helped us, the Moekma, the Ohlone, what we call the Ohlone today. We have our own natives that we brought from Sonora, from Nueva España. Some of us are mixed. We've built our huts. We have our crops from that first, that first season. We know the terrain. We've explored the area. Let's have a celebration. And so they did. Now, unfortunately, this takes place around the East Coast Thanksgiving. So it decayed, it decayed at the Peralta Adobe until it was nothing. And so one day I approached History San Jose, I'm very friendly with, with uh, the, the leaders there uh, for good reason. They, we have a shared purpose. And I said, could I get some of Los Californianos, some of my cousins, and we have a potluck on the day to mark the day that we did this before, our Thanksgiving. And with the Californios, besides being very verbose like us, like me, they, um, they said, sure, party, sign me up. <laughs> so they did. This one brings this dish, this one brings that dish. We all come together at the table at History at History San Jose at the Peralta Adobe. It was a little cold then, so we did it indoors. And out of that comes the revision, the idea to revise and to have this celebration 
again every year. But it's driven by History San Jose with some collaborations with local groups. Could be better, could be worse, but that's how I got involved in it. Again, I said back to the beginning, the spirit of this again was, it was really, and it was recorded as really being a Thanksgiving celebration. And yet it was not celebrated in the very city that was founded on November the 29th, 1777, Pueblo uh, de San Jose de Guadalupe, named after the patron saint of the Anza expedition, which the Guadalupe River is named after. So it's all there. Grandma yeah. was right. Grandma was right. Everything that she said was right, and everything that the cousins have said is right. It's just decaying like the bell. And so I try to add a little of my energy into it. So what, what can we do then to help keep it from decaying? I mean, for me, this is fascinating. I've gone a couple of times with my kids to Happy Birthday San Jose. Um, I'm dedicating myself to learning more and more about this wonderful history that we have here in California and, and in this area. What, uh, what, what can people like, like me do? Uh, well, any, any citizen of San Jose can learn a little bit about this story through your blog, through your writings, through the, teacher, the, the teachings that you do there at San Jose State and other teachings by your colleagues at Santa Clara University and, and throughout California. There are books there and that gives you the background. Why is this important? What can these stories tell us today? History has a tendency of repeating itself over and over and over again. Different technology, but the same people, the same human nature, stays, human nature the same. stays the same. Right. So the first thing is to, to, to read this and, and read the stories. Uh, the second is then to, to come to these celebrations and to make them publicly attended. There's a good thing and a bad thing about San Pedro Square. Now, San Pedro Square is the area in downtown San Jose where the Peralta Adobe, the oldest uh, building in the city, is located, but it's also a, a urban downtown area. Yes, the vision, uh, rightly so, of the city leaders has been to uh, further develop this area so that it can uh, be uh, an, an anchor point for uh, citizens and the community to, to come together. And that's how we envision the Founders Day event. You call it the San Jose birthday, you can call it both, call it whatever. You could call it our Thanksgiving. That's nice, that's interesting. San Jose's Thanksgiving, because it was. But whatever it is, we had always, every year, we had envisioned that it was a place and time for the community to come together and learn about its own history, its own story. And so the good and the bad thing about the San Pedro Square uh, is that, well, it's hard to do that necessarily in a small space. It used to have a more open space. We in the future can envision some of the chairs going back to where they were when I first gave the uh, Founders Day event. The whole area was ours to do reenactments, 
to do living history in the same way that I see living history done at the Carmel Mission, at Mission San Antonio, at other adobes like the Sanchez adobe in Pacifica. They go all out, and we did too at, at that. And so it may need a little bit more space, but if there's more people, then that'll become, again, much more apparent. Oh yes, it's an opportunity to sell food. And that's what San Pedro Square is all about. But we can let them know about history and let them help us to tell that story because guess what? It's going to help them sell the products that they do as well because sure. they are in first what was a Moekma village, a sacred site. And in many of the instances, many of the years we've had the honor of having members of the tribe come and say a few words. That was fantastic. That needs to be encouraged. But the space has to allow for that. The space has to have maybe on one day to return it to a historic place and not just a place to sit and eat. It has to be sacred. You could go there now and look up at the hummingbirds. Do that. The people who want to do more can go up and look at the hummingbirds. We have Mount Amanam here. Look up at that and see that that spot is sacred to the Moekma and to the first peoples who are here. Look up at the hummingbird ceramics that are hanging there. That's the only thing that's there unless you, the public, go there and say to yourself, this place is sacred. This place is special and historic. Say to yourself, this is where the story of San Jose as a city, as a European settlement continued after the native story was pushed a little bit to the side and incorporated into it. So first thing that you could do at any time not just November the 29th, is do that. Do that exercise and to say history happened here. You have some mnemonics to look up, a hummingbird here, an adobe here, look through the window and realize that this, this spot is special. There are a few interpretive panels. There are a few plaques that the state has put there. It's a, a state historic landmark. And then realize that you've heard this interview where a descendant of Luis Maria Peralta has said everything that I've said. That's my ancestor's house. And there are many other Peraltas out there, so I'm not so special. But I am the one who, who now would like them to spread the story, spread the story, read experience, participate in the celebration, and then at the time of the presentation, tell people, come. The larger it is, the more questions that you ask, the more organizations like yours, Damien, like Los Californianos, like the National Park Service, like uh, county parks, like state parks, they will all come, like Ulistak and Shataktak, these, these treasures in our local area. That are, that are parks, that are former 
native villages that have historical significance, they all have had tables there engaging the public, the community. Uh, it's my hope also that it becomes Thanksgiving, that we, like we have in a couple of years, have a barrel there and we collect food and we are able to give food to charities that are in the area. That it really mm -hmm. does. Yes, everybody's leaving town, everybody's coming into town. Make it our Thanksgiving. It's the same. It's a slightly different date, but it's exactly the same thing. It's really exactly the same story. Right. But it's our story. And it could be part of your story. If you look up, make it sacred, make it special, make it historic, participate in the community, and now the story continues. That's what you could do. Everybody that's listening. Including the cat. <laughs> wow, very cool. So how can, how can people find out more about uh, you, about the work you're doing, about the, the wonderful uh, materials that you've prepared? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, so, so my website is uh, www.soulideas.com. Uh, it's a soul, like the Spanish word for sun and ideas, because uh, that's what I do for my living. I'm in solar energy. Amusingly, my ancestor who came uh, at the age of 10 with uh, Juan Batista de Anza was named Apollinario, hmm. named for Apollo. <laughs> I didn't know that. The god of the sun. And I chose my field at a very, very early age, until like long before I really understood what that all meant. Well, you're a scientist, I should I mention. am a scientist, yes. I, I do this as a hobby and to honor my, my family and my, my grandmother's pretty much her dying wish. Uh, and to realize uh, that by going to that website, then you'll, you'll go to the Juan Batista de Anza National Historic Trail. There's also other sites that you can go to. The National Park Service not only maintains wonderful places like Yosemite, or uh, Yellowstone or Tumacacri National uh, Historic Monument along the trail uh, or, or uh, other places. It also uh, maintains historic trails and historic assets. And so you can travel to Sweeney Ridge, which is where the Portola expedition in Pacifica looked out uh, for the first time and saw the San Francisco Bay. Of course, the natives had seen it. They knew it was there, but the Spanish Empire didn't know that it was there. And uh, uh, Sergeant uh, Ortega uh, knew that uh, uh, it was something special. And we weren't in Monterey, mm -hmm. which is what they were looking for. But that's how they had discovered uh, that. So you could, you could go to the National Park Service uh, website and look also in, in Spanish resources, uh, uh, early California resources, you can go to the San Jose State Library. They have a, a wonderful uh, history room to the Santa Clara University archives. Uh, they have uh, original manuscripts that have been uh, translated. Uh, look at some of those um, and, uh, and just get interested and just get interested in, in what was here before. Thanks, Greg. You are Truly a man on a mission, and I'll have all of the, um, the information and the URLs and the links to the things you mentioned in, in the show notes, but um, it's just fascinating, and I, I hope we get a, 
to talk more about these kind of things down the road but it's it's just a pleasure to be uh, welcomed here into your home and to and to hear this interesting information um, from somebody who really is part of the California frontier so thanks a lot my grandmother whenever I left would say uh, the way I'll say it to you goodbye uh, vaya con Dios and that's the way that they would say it go with God well thanks Greg I learned so much in my conversation with Greg and not just during the part we recorded but before and afterwards and there was so much there that I'm just going to have to have him back on the program to share more with you. I have put all the links to the things that we mentioned in the conversation on the website at www.californiafrontier.net slash 002. So that's for podcast episode two. And there you're also going to be able to find some videos that I recorded after the conversation as well, where Greg speaks a little bit more about um, his ancestors. And they'll be embedded in the website so you can see them there. So once again, uh, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. And I hope you look forward to further episodes of the California Frontier Podcast. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the California Frontier Podcast. If you liked what you heard, consider leaving a review on iTunes. It's a great way for other people to find out about the show. Also, be sure to check out our website at www.californiafrontier.net. There, you'll find the show notes for this episode. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Pinterest. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, make sure and drop me a line at damian at californiafrontier.net. <laughs>